Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those questions and a tip to support the channel, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered. So we gather them all up and we address them here on companion videos. And to let you know, in case you don't know, the way you get a question read on our show is simply by going down into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on that or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on our show if it's appropriate for our show. And of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time and all of us involved with the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, guys, we've got a number of things to get to here, so let's not waste any time and start getting caught up with a question from Andy Hong, who writes in, one of three. I don't have much doubt that Discovery will do a good job with Warner Brothers, especially after you've been hyping it up for me. Well, fingers crossed. I hope it goes well. It might go well, it may not, but fingers crossed, I have faith in it. Anyway, uh, you're like a human trailer for them, LOL. However, how will Discovery deal with ethics moving forward with Warner Brothers? It's concerning, uh, two of three, that Warner Brothers tossed their creatives and partners aside with their same-day premieres on HBO Max. Yeah, that was a dick move of them for sure, which should still be renamed to Soggy Ass. <laughs> However, I'm more concerned about how they will handle situations like Hartley Sawyer, Elongated Man from the Flash, and Ezra Miller's choking incident. Would Discovery handle situations like that with more consistency in the future than Warner Brothers did? I abhor that Warner Brothers chose to remain silent on the Ezra Miller situation and hope that Discovery will remain will maintain better ethic principles. All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, Andy. Now, for those of you who know what Andy's talking about, so Warner Brothers is about to be acquired. Discovery, yes, the, the network that does, you know, the uh, home improvement shows and the food shows and all that kind of stuff, Discovery is buying Warner Brothers. And everything that Warner Brothers entails, HBO and all that kind of stuff, it's all going to Discovery. They're taking it over. And that transition will happen sometime in the first quarter, I believe, of 2022. So the question becomes, how will they handle ethical situations? Because Warner Brothers, well, let's face it, all studios have their ethical slip-ups. All businesses, hell, all people have their ethical slip-ups. Warner Brothers is no different. A couple of those have been like the way they sandbagged all their own talent and partners by making that big announcement that all of our 2021 movies are going to come out on HBO Max. Meanwhile, all the directors and producers and their financing partners went, uh, what? What? Excuse me? Like they totally backstabbed them, caught them totally off guard, sandbagged them, totally sandbagged them. One of the bigger problems, though, of course, that we've talked a bunch on this show about was, of course, the incident with Ezra Miller, where he was caught on video putting his hands on the throat of a girl and taking her down to the ground. Warner Brothers has never mentioned it. They've never mentioned it. Their whole philosophy was, shh, don't talk about it and people will forget. Well, they're not, the people are talking about, what should we do? Uh, let it slip out that Michael Keaton's going to be in the Flash movie. Jingle shiny keys in front of the people and they'll forget all about the Ezra Miller stuff. And they did, and they were right. We all forgot about it. But it was especially concerning when just like a week or two or whatever, some a little bit of time earlier than that, the guy who played Elongated Man on the Flash, uh, Hartley Sawyer, I always mispronounce his name, I'm sure, but they fired him because of some tweets he had written five, six, seven, eight years earlier. They found some tweets that were distasteful, sure, 
but they fired him instantly. Ezra Miller's caught on video with his hands on a girl's throat, taking her to the ground, never even mentioned it. It's that kind of inconsistency that equals hypocrisy, really, that left some fans like myself feeling like, wow, that was kind of scummy. Will Discovery handle that any better? I got to hope so. I've got to hope so. I mean, uh, I mean, the reality is we don't know. Discovery and their Zaslav, their CEO of Discovery, they've never owned like a production company like this. They're a very different kind of production company. So I'm sure they've probably never come across these specific kinds of issues. It is going to be interesting to see how it's dealt with um, and how they deal with them. But I, I, I'm going to guess that they will deal with it better, but uh, we won't know until it actually happens. So they can say they'll handle it better. Let's see if they actually do. All right, good question, Andy. Next up, we got Dangerous D who writes, Hey, John, after a few episodes, why The Last Man was canceled by FX, but some fans are still asking for a second season. Stephen King is also begging for another season. Some are thinking HBO Max might pick up the series since DC Comics distributed the comic series. I Here's the thing. I really don't know if they will. Um, why The Last Man was never able to, I mean, granted, in its very short run, was never really able to garner a strong following. And part of that was because the show's just not that good. Now, that's a subjective opinion, but that's my opinion. The show just wasn't very good. I was excited for this show. You know I was excited for this show. And I tried to get into it, and it just wasn't very good. It wasn't able to garner that big of an audience. I don't know why HBO would pick it up. I don't know what their motivation would be. They, I mean, it's not going to be a profit maker. They're not going to get a lot of new subscribers for it. If people weren't tuning in for it on another network, they're not about to pay 15 bucks a month to sign up for HBO Max to watch it. So anything's possible. Absolutely anything is possible, but I have my doubts anybody else will pick it up. I have a, I have a feeling, and it's just, I'm just guessing here, I have a feeling that it'll probably get rebooted in some way, shape, or form, say three or four years down the line, but we'll see what happens. All right, thanks for that in Dangerous. Next up, Dangerous D also writes, Hey, John, uh, Dark Side of Fanboys has shown its ugly head. TMZ is reporting that the artists and production staff that revealed John Kent's bisexual has received death threats from angry fans. It's so bad that the uh, that they requested LAPD to keep an eye out. Uh, this behavior is not what being a fan is supposed to act. Nobody's life is worth threatening just because you don't like a storyline. This is not going uh, this is not going to anybody's mind and all you're doing is showing your own ignorance now for those who don't know what dangerous d is talking about um a little while ago very short time ago it got revealed that uh jonathan kent the son of clark kent um has donned the superman moniker for now obviously clark kent's gonna be superman again but has recently taken over his father's moniker of superman and this superman jonathan kent they revealed, he's a young man, revealed he's going to be bisexual. Okay, fine. But some people with certain political agendas did not like that. Did not like that at all. They don't like that it's not 1963 anymore. Um, they were right pissed off about it. And, um, and yeah, so apparently... It got so bad that now the police are having to patrol the houses and homes of some of the artists and people working on that title because they've been receiving death threats for having the audacity to say that this new character, this Jonathan Kent character, is, is bisexual. 
it is some of the most messed up. Like, I don't know how far down the stupid ladder you have to be um, to be that. And nobody's saying you have to enjoy it. Nobody's saying you have to approve of it. Like, there's lots of things in, in this world, in this life that, oh, you know, I don't like that and I don't approve that. And that's not to my taste and whatever. That's fine. Nobody says you have to go along with it. Nobody says you have to be happy about it. You have to be, you have to be on a certain rung of the stupid ladder to have it affect you so deeply. You've got to make death threats, and um, it's it's pathetic and it's sad. These are cousin humping, basement dwelling losers, um, and yeah, it's unfortunate that these type of you know knuckle draggers actually exist in our world, but they do, um, and uh, yeah, so it's unfortunate and it sucks. But I'm hoping that they get that uh, they get that behind them as fast as they can. All right, next up, uh, Robin writes, "Hey, John." So I know I'm in the minority, but I'm massively missing Star Wars on the big screen. Me too. <laughs> Personally, I want more Jedi Force-based stories. I know at one point Jedi origin story slash Force user story was going to be directed by the Game of Thrones guys. I'm not sure that that's true. Um, Game of Thrones guys making a Jedi origin story. What's the chance that we see that story on the big screen or Knights of the Old Republic? Could that be what Feige or Taika is making? Really missing that kind of Star Wars. Yeah, listen, I'll tell you what, everybody knows I really didn't like The Rise of Skywalker. Did not like that movie at all. But disliking that movie as much as I did has only made me more hungry for more Star Wars movies on the big screen. Because I really love Force Awakens, and I loved Rogue One, and I really liked Solo. I even liked um, the, the, uh, the Last Jedi. I had some issues with The Last Jedi. I had some serious issues with The Last Jedi, but I still liked it. I still overall, I thought it was a good package, but I hated The Rise of Skywalker. I hated that movie. <laughs> I was so sad. I remember I, I came, I was at the premiere of it and I came out of the premiere walking between the premiere and going to the after party and I, had, and I stopped and shot my, uh, my right out of the theater reaction to it. And I was like, ah, guys, this ain't it. <laughs> like, I was very disappointed. Anyway. That being said, that has only deepened my hunger for wanting to get more Star Wars. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the, the Game of Thrones guys, they were never doing a Jedi origin story. I believe they were going to do Old Republic. I believe I heard they were going to do Old Republic. Now, Old Republic can mean a lot, and Old Republic spans a lot of time. But I, I'm okay. Listen, I don't need my Star Wars movies to be Jedi-based. The Star Wars galaxy is a big, big galaxy. It does not have to be Jedi-based. You know, season one of The Mandalorian proved you don't need to be jedi based well yeah baby yoda was a force user but that was you know that's that's not the main gist of it the mandalorian was the main gist of it i don't think you have to have force users to be the center of the star wars universe all the time but i'm down for it because i love jedi and sith so i my guess is taika and and kevin feige their projects are probably not going to be origins of the jedi or anything like that i don't know why you have to demystify the origins of the jedi or the sith anyway one of the big mistakes of star wars i think ever since the prequels was the demystifying of things like trying to explain the force as yeah yeah metachlorians the metachlorians live in your blood you know just take a little blood sample we'll find out if you got lots of good metachlorian Oh, your midichlorians aren't so good. Here, take some midichlorian, uh, take some midichlorian uh, uh, Viagra. We got the special midichlorian Viagra. It'll stiffen up your midichlorians and you'll have more force. You want more force? I hated that. And they've continued it. They've done more and more to try to demystify things in Star Wars. And I, Going back to the origins of the Jedi, I don't think I'm interested in that. And maybe a lot of other people would be. I'm saying I'm not. But stuff set in the Old Republic or whatever, I don't know. We'll have to see. 
Let's see. All right. Next up, uh, we go over to uh, K Major who writes, John, I'm here to ask the big questions. What's the trick behind refrigerator shots in film slash TV? Is it a prop fridge with an open back or is there a camera in the actual fridge I need to know? I have no doubt the answer is both. I think probably in, you know, older years, there was probably a facade fridge. You know, it looks like a fridge, but there's no back to it. And the camera just sat where the back of the fridge was supposed to be. And it made it look like it was a fridge. But today you can have such high quality cameras that are so small I have no doubt that probably most of those shots are actually cameras. I mean, hell, look, oh, my GoPro is over there. I can't reach it right now. But, I mean, my 5K GoPro, my 5.6K GoPro is like this big. You know, my, hell, the the show, I'm the, the camera I'm shooting this on right now, the Sony a6400 or, hey, the, the Sony uh, a7C. I mean, these are tiny cameras. You can just plop in the back of a fridge, hit record, and just go through it. So I'm sure in days gone by, probably facade fridges with a fake fake back. But probably today, I'm going to guess they probably just slap a real camera in the fridge because they can do that. And maybe for certain shots, they do the facades as well. All right. It's a, actually a good question, K-Major. All right. Next up, Ethan Holgate writes, Hey, John, I saw Last Night in Soho. Everybody's seen Last Night in Soho except me. And oh, my God, uh, it was fantastic. Edgar Wright has done it again. Uh, Thomason McKenzie was amazing. Loved her so much in this. Probably my favorite performance from her. Well, not that she's had a lot of performances yet. Uh, it's in my top five movies of the year. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm getting really damn jealous and angry. And I, I can't go see it till Anne gets back. Actually, when I'm done recording this video, I'm going to go get my car, drive to the uh, Ontario airport and go pick up Anne. She's flying back tonight. Now, I'm not going to see it tomorrow night either because we're going to go see Eternals again. That'll be my fourth screening of Eternals. So I'm hoping Friday. I'm hoping to do to to uh, double up with a double feature on Friday of seeing Antlers and Last Night in Soho. So that's my plan. But everybody's writing in talking about how much they love Last Night in Soho. I got to get out to it this weekend. All right. Thanks for that, Ethan. Next up, uh, Joel writes, hey, John. I love the show. Thank you so much and hope you are having a great day. I did have a great day. Thank you. I was wondering why movies and shows have multiple producers instead of having just one. What is the job of a producer? All right. Well, I'm not going to go into the full thing of this because this will take too long. Basically this, the producer, the true real producer behind a movie is the person ultimately responsible for the film. They are the person in charge. They acquire the rights to the script. They hire the director. They do, and it's some. It's not necessarily just one person do it. Sometimes it's a couple of of them. But they, it, it's their movie. That's why at the Academy Awards, when Best Picture is given out, it's not the director who goes up and accepts it. Most of the time, sometimes the director's a producer as well, but it's usually the producer or the producers. Now here's where it gets complicated. There can be like seventeen people with a producer credit on a movie, everything from producer, executive producer. Senior producer, associate producer, assistant producer, um, all these different titles. Hell, somebody can get a producer credit for, and this has happened. Somebody wanted somebody else on a movie. They talked to a guy who knew that other person and they said, okay, I'll arrange, I'll, I'll make the contact. I'll get in touch with this person. I'll set up a meeting with you. And the whole thing is that it's up to them, uh, to, to get the, them together, and just for doing that, they get a producer credit. Steven Spielberg, the greatest filmmaker, I believe, of all time, 
he is a great producer and obviously I think the greatest director of all time. And he's also a great producer. But there's a number of credits, a number of producer credits where he literally did nothing on the movie. He may have had, he may have consulted on one phone call. He may have had one sit down meeting. Sometimes I'm sure he just agreed to let his name be on it as producer in exchange for a check. It happens. So it's very, very confusing for a lot of people. A lot of times actors will be in a movie, but they want a producer credit as well. All that kind of stuff. But they're not the producer. So it's difficult. You got to cut through all that. And that's why it's very, very confusing. Like through all of it, through those 18, 25 producers, there is one or two core people who are truly the producers of the movie. And you can't always just figure out who those are by looking at the IMDb page, unfortunately. It's very nebulous sometimes. It's very nebulous. All right, next up. Uh, KW Garrett 83 writes, Dune in IMAX was epic and amazing. Can't wait for part two. Amused to, to later learn House Ordos is not canon to the book, so left out of the movie. Last Duel was excellent. Glad you recommended it. French Dispatch was good, um, though the three stories were disconnected. Well, that's a lot in one. But yeah, listen, I, I am glad you checked out The Last Duel because nobody else did. Nobody else did. Um, I didn't completely love The Last Duel. Like, I thought The Last Duel was very good. Fantastic performances, really good core story, fantastic dynamic between the characters. I just thought the narrative structure they chose of telling it the same story told three different times from three different perspectives and stuff like that, sometimes that narrative structure can work very well in a movie. I found, for whatever reason, it didn't serve this movie very well and only slowed the movie down. But other than that, I thought it was really good. But nobody went to go see it. That movie flopped so hard, it's crazy. So I'm glad you went to go see KW. All right, next up. KW Garrett also writes, Watch Tango Shalom. Nice, that's Robert Meyer Burnett's movie. With my Jewish girlfriend. Very helpful uh, to have her explain the Hasidic culture during the movie. We really enjoyed it. Very charming, uplifting story. I was surprised to learn the priest actor died in 2017. Why was this film on the shelf for so long? Listen, Robert Meyer Burnett has been working on this film for years for years it's it's a listen filmmaking is a big thing and it's an expensive thing and it takes time and it takes money and the less money you have the longer time it's going to take but you guys know rob's been working on that movie for years trying to work with the editing then the sound design he took over the post-production process and then a lot of stuff you're doing you're trying to get people to do stuff for free because you don't have enough finances and then you're trying to get more finances. And then it's a long, arduous process, man. It is a long, arduous process. The big studios make it look easy. We can shoot a movie now, have it in theaters in, in a year and a half. Beautiful. For a lot of independent filmmakers, it can be a much longer, longer, longer road than that. So that's uh, Rob's experience there is a, is a good example of that. All right, I'm glad you checked out the film and supported it, though, KW. All right, 310 to Yuma writes. It's one of my favorite Westerns. While I'm disheartened to see Eternal's Rotten Tomatoes score drop so low, I have to draw your attention to a new movie. It's called The Harder They Fall. The Rotten Tomato audience and critic scores are at 90%, with some calling it the new Black Panther Best Picture nomination. I don't know if you know this 310 to Yuma, but I actually saw the film a few weeks ago. I saw an early screening of it. And I'm, I'm being kind when I say I think that movie is absolute shit. It's absolutely garbage. It's a terrible movie. 
And I was so excited for that movie. I thought the trailer was badass. It's one of my favorite ensemble casts of the year. I mean, you got Idris Elba, and you got you got Lakeith, you got Jonathan Majors, you got I mean, you got uh, uh, anyway, you just, huge incredible cast, huge incredible cast. It's awesome, and the movie was absolute shite. And this is going to be one of those situations. I think every filmmaker, or every filmmaker, every film fan has this experience for some movies where they feel one way about a movie, see the consensus from the critics or other fans is completely opposite from theirs, and you just scratch your head. I have no idea what movie everybody else watched. Honestly, I have no idea what else, what anybody else, what movie anybody else watched. This movie is terrible. It's awful. It makes no sense. They all do the stupidest things. It is rubbish. It's so bad you could even see the fake building props in the shots. You could even see fake building props in the shots. Like it's just, it's terrible. It's awful. I have no idea what movie these other people saw, but I wish I saw that movie. Whatever movie it is that they saw, I wish I saw that movie because the one I saw was absolute garbage. But it's the worst film of the year. What year did uh, what year did Thunder Force come out? Okay, if Thunder Force did not come out this year, it's the worst film of the year. <laughs> but that's just me. That's my opinion. Anyway, um, Free Britney writes, Theory on Morbius. Venom and Morbius are set in their own universe that is separate from the MCU. Uh, the M. Cretan character uh, that we see in Morbius is not Vulture. Or the Michael Keaton, that's with the K. Uh, Michael Keaton character that we see in Morbius is not Vulture. Morbius gets transported to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man universe when Doctor Strange does his multiverse spell. Uh, I don't know that I buy that. I mean, he's clearly in the same universe as Venom because he references Venom directly, right? Maybe the Michael Keaton we see in the trailer is that universe's version of Michael Keaton's character and not the same one that we knew from Spider-Man Homecoming. That's a totally plausible theory. That's a total plausible theory. So, but that Morbius, who's in a separate cinematic universe from Doctor Strange gets transported from his other universe into yet another universe. I don't know that I buy that. I don't know that I buy that. Interesting theory. Let's see if it happens. But for now, I'll say I don't buy it. But that's a great way of thinking. You're thinking outside the box for you, Brittany, and I appreciate that. All right. Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, somebody asks you, can Squid, somebody asked you, can Squid Games be adapted to an aimer? God, guys, please spell check and please proofread your stuff before you write in. I'm have, I'm struggling with this. Somebody ask you, can Squid Games be adapted to an aimer? I don't know what that means. Version you said, know that this known I got to skip. I'm sorry, Dangerous D. I, I try to get through as many of your questions as I can, but if I have to struggle as hard as this to just read your questions, please calmly and slowly take time to proofread your thing. I'm going to assume maybe English isn't your first language. Shit, man, you can speak a second language better than I can. That's for damn sure. But I just take your time, go slow, try to make it so, so I'd be able to read it without much problem. All right. Uh, but I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. All right. Willow writes, I like Chris Pratt and all, but why couldn't they have gotten an actual cat to voice Garfield? 
<laughs> Why couldn't they get an actual cat to voice Garfield? In all seriousness, though, how do you feel about voice actors portraying characters that's a different race slash ethnicity, like Hank Azaria voicing Apu? I have no problem with it. These are fictional make-believe characters. I have no problem with it. These are fictional make-believe fictitious characters that aren't real hell they're not even supposed to be physically real these are animated fake fictional characters i really don't i really don't care i really don't you know as an italian i like seeing my italian representation but you know they're just cast the mario movie and they got a couple including chris pratt they got a couple of non-italian guys to voice these very traditional Italian character. Traditionally, they are very, very Italian characters. It's a me, Mario. You know, almost offensively Italian, <laughs> depending on how you ask it. I don't care. Actors are people who portray other people that they are not. Actors play characters that they are not in real life. I don't expect the actor you get to play Hitler in a movie to actually be a Nazi. I, I don't expect that. I don't expect whoever you get to play Mr. Spock in the next incarnation of Star Trek to actually be an alien Vulcan. Now, I under there are there are certain extreme situations where you know you want to get them close to the character so the character can be believable, but in an animated voice thing, Personally, I don't care. Now, I'm not sitting here and pointing my fingers at people who do have a problem with it and saying, you are stupid if you have a problem with that. I'm not saying that. I'm, you're asking me how I feel about it. I'm just telling you how I feel about it. I'm not blaming anybody else for how they may feel about it. I'm just saying for me, I have no problem with it. Why don't I have a problem with it? Because actors are people who portray characters that they are not in real life. These are make-believe, fictitious characters, for the most part, you know, unless you're telling a true story or something. But, yeah, me, myself, I don't have an issue with it. Don't have an issue with it. But I don't, I'm, but I'm not putting down anybody else who does have an issue with it. I'm just telling you how I feel about it. That's all. All right. Uh, next up. So I keep looking at my uh, watch because... Um, my wife is, like I said, my wife is flying in. I just want to make sure if she, in case she's texting me or anything, I want to make sure I keep up to date with what's going on with her. All right. Next up, Chris, uh, she, he writes, I disagree with your take on Spidey, at least somewhat. I believe Spidey's standalone movies will continue to be done with Marvel studios. However, I do think he'll pop up in Sony movies like Venom 3. I think that's more what Feige was saying, but who knows? I mean, that's a possibility. Listen, we did a whole story today on the John Campia show that was basically expressing that, yeah, I, I think that you're going to see Spider-Man leave. I think the evidence is mounting. I mean, the very fact that John Watts is no longer on Spider-Man, the guy who's directed all of the MCU Spider-Man movies, he's now moving on to Fantastic Four. I think that tells us something. Not absolutely, but I, I personally think that's telling us something. That being said, I also took some time today to, to talk about some very valid reasons why I think you should believe he's staying in the MCU. So while I believe he is leaving, I think there is more evidence saying that he's leaving than there is saying that he's staying. The fact of the matter is there's still there is evidence that he could stay. And I'm not going to fall out of my seat in shock if we watch No Way Home and then it makes it clear that he's staying in the MCU. I won't fall out of my seat in shock. I'll be a little bit surprised, but not huge shock. I think that's a very valid possibility. But if I had to bet $5 on it, 
if I had to bet $5 on it, the short deal time that they re-upped instead of a long-term deal, Tom Holland's words saying we shot this as the end of a franchise, Kevin Feige's words saying Spider-Man's going to be a character who can go between cinematic universes, the fact that uh, John Watts, the director of all three Spider-Man movies, is no longer on Spider-Man. He's going over to do Fantastic Four. He's jumping to a new property. I think all these things point to Spider-Man leaving. But I don't know that he is. It's just a guess. And I'm not standing on this. I'm not like, there are certain things I'll say. I 100% guarantee you this. I'm not that way with this prediction. This is just a guess. This is just me fantasizing. This is just me theorizing. But it is, again, if I had to, if I was forced to bet five bucks, that's the way I would bet my five bucks. All right, next up. We got Grayson Cook who writes, Hey, John. I'm just recently dis- I just recently discovered your show and I love it. Well, thank you so much, Grayson. And I love it and listen to it every day. I'm a massive Star Wars fan and I wanted to know if you would if you would share your thoughts on the sequels. They are they aren't perfect, but I really enjoy them. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I've talked about these a bunch, Grayson, but basically this. I completely adored The Force Awakens. As a matter of fact, The Force Awakens is my favorite Star Wars movie that's not one of the original 3. Like to me, you got the original trilogy that is way up here. Then about down here, you got, um, I think, Force Awakens, then Rogue One, then Solo, then uh, Last Jedi, and then Rise of Skywalker, and then the three prequels. Actually, I dislike the Rise of Skywalker so much, I might even put one of the prequels above it. I think I might actually put the Revenge of the Sith above the Rise of Skywalker. Not 100% sure about that, but I think I do. But that's how much I dislike the Rise. So that's my basic feeling. It went from, it was a big decline. Like, I loved Force Awakens. I liked the, the, the Last Jedi. I liked it, but I had a number of issues with it. And then I just completely hated Rise of Skywalker. So, yeah, that was, it's, what really became apparent was they never started shooting these movies with a plan. They just decided to wing it. They just decided, let's make the first movie and then we'll just figure out what to do in the second movie when the time comes. Not the way to do it. They never had a plan. And that became more and more apparent, especially once you got to The Rise of Skywalker. It's like, none of this makes any sense considering the events of the force awakens and like none of this makes any sense but it is what it is so those are my thoughts on it uh grayson anyway thanks a lot for writing in man and it's great to have you here as a viewer my friend all right next up russell amador writes hey john with all the negative reviews pouring in and release schedule for is the release schedule for tomorrow is it safe to say 100 million can't be achieved uh what are your current box office predictions for this one oh and will you see it as many times as Shang-Chi? I don't think I'll see it as many times as Shang-Chi. Like, I'm a, I'm about to go see... I'm going to assume you're talking about Eternals, by the way. I'm going to go see it for my fourth screening tomorrow. I've seen Shang-Chi seven times. I saw it four times before it ever opened in theaters. And then I saw it three times after it opened in theaters. So I saw Shang-Chi seven times. I think four might be it. I think four might be it until it comes out on home video, either on Disney Plus or whatever. Uh, I'll watch it again, definitely, once it comes out in home video. But I think four will be my my max. I like this movie. Um, I think it's quite good. But it's not, 
you know, some people suggesting, you know, we heard whispers, people I know inside Disney saying the people at Disney kind of think this might be the best MCU film ever. I certainly don't think it is. I don't even think it's the best MCU movie of the year. I mean, that's Shang-Chi. But I like it quite a bit. Going to go see it for a fourth time tomorrow. But listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, I never really, I mean, did I think a million, hundred million was possible? Yeah. But my my guess for where Eternals was going to come in was always under a hundred million. I didn't see Eternals making a hundred million. It's just, it's it's a brand new property, unknown characters, all that kind of stuff. Shang-Chi did great with 70, 75 million, whatever that was. That was the same stat. So I kind of pegged this one at 70 or something like that. Then I lowered my guess to 50. So now I'm hearing some projections are saying 70 to 80. So maybe I need to come up again. But the bottom line is this. I never expected Eternals to hit 100 million anyway. Possible? Sure. Still possible, but I don't think it will. So that's my guess right now. We'll see what happens. I'm going to be very curious to see how the audience reacts to this movie. All right, next up, Tribal Chief writes. If you'd asked me six months ago, I would have... Okay, if you had asked me six months ago who would have the higher Rotten Tomatoes score, Venom 2 or Eternals, I would have said Eternals easily. You and me both, brother. Uh, crazy to think Venom 2 with a 60% has a better critic score than Eternals at a 54%. By the way, I think it's at 53% now. Uh, as Well, let me finish reading this. Even though they're pretty close and I love the Venom movies. Um, I, I agree. Now, actually, give me a second here. I'm going to look this up because I looked it up this morning. As of this morning... Um, our friend, the Eternals was sitting at a 53%. Let's see if it still is. Oh, it's holding at 53%. Another 60 reviews got added since this morning and it seems to have stopped at slide. The slide, at least for now, appears to have stopped. So it's at 53% right now. Yeah, I... I don't know, man. I like I would have easily bet if you had if I could time travel right now and you could go back in time, uh, let's say two and a half months or however, just before Venom 2 came out and got to John two and a half months ago and bet me a thousand dollars and said, hey, John, I'll bet you a thousand dollars that Venom 2 will have a higher Rotten Tomatoes critic rating than Eternals will. I would have taken that bet. John from two and a half months ago would have taken that bet easy and laughed, laughed in your face for making such a stupid bet. Well, now look at it. By the way, I really like Venom 2 as well. These are both movies I really like. I really like Venom 2 and I really like Eternal. So there's that. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Bad Boogie Hex who writes, I like the Morbius trailer, but I made the mistake of looking up who wrote the film. Turns out it's the geniuses behind The Last Witch Hunter, Gods of Egypt, and Dracula Untold. Excitement tempered. I'm hoping for the best, but why hire such mediocre talent? So it's Brett something or other and his partner something. I, I can't remember their names right now. I'll tell you the reason they got the, uh, they got the uh, Morbius job. They got the Morbius job because of their work on Lost in Space, the Netflix series which is a pretty good series. Um, I don't personally love it, but I know several people that love that series. It's got very strong critic and audience ratings. I think their critic and audience ratings are both hovering around the 80%, give or take a little bit, but it's right around the 80% mark. Um, that's what got them that gig. 
the tone and the scope and everything they did with Lost in Space, not not the movie from like 2000, whatever, but the Netflix series Lost in Space, that was pretty well received by critics and audiences alike. And they did a pretty good job on that. And I think that's the series that got them uh, the job on Morbius. And you guys remember, too, they also went and got their pitch from them. And and that's where it's at. So, look, um, I don't think Dracula Untold is the worst movie. Gods of Egypt is pretty bad. Last Witch Hunter is pretty bad. If their resume ended there, I would be very worried. I'm not going to lie to you. I would be very worried. But their most recent work showed that they are capable of a different level of material than the stuff we'd seen from them from a number of years ago, Dracula and Told Gods of Egypt. Like, those are all older things. Actually, let me look this up if I can. Uh, give me one quick second here to see if I can find this. I am looking for, what am I looking for? I'm looking for Morbius on IMDb. Uh, and I know it's Brett something. Burke, I mean, Burke, Sharpless, and Matt Sazma were the guys. So let's take a look at this, though. Like, they did Dracula Told, which was seven years ago. Uh, Last Witch Hunter, which was six years ago. And Gods of Egypt, which was five years ago. So... I mean, there's, and then they did Power Rangers and Power Rangers, great. They didn't write the screenplay. They just did the story for it. I actually, I was mocking Power Rangers right up until the day it came out. And then I actually ended up kind of liking Power Rangers. So I'll call Power Rangers a push because they didn't actually do the screenplay. They just did the story by, and I actually thought the story for Power Rangers was pretty good. But then you fast forward uh, a bunch of years, a couple of years, and you get their work on Lost in Space. And that, you know, Hollywood is very much a what have you done for me lately kind of business. And they have a very short memory and they don't look too far back. And that's the one that makes me go, okay. Like I said, if all that was on the resume was Gods of Egypt and Last Witch Hunter, I'd be very concerned. But they have now shown that they can produce stuff that's actually on another level. And so I'm going to rely on that for now. We'll We'll see how it goes up. Maybe it'll be awesome. Maybe it'll suck. But uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now. All right. Burt Macklin, FBI. That's, of course, Andy's imaginary FBI character in Parks and Rec. is played by Chris Pratt, who writes, We've had a lot of different genres mixed into the MCU. Yes, we have. From day one of the Eternals trailer, I said this was Marvel's attempt at a DC movie. It's not. It's totally not. Uh, God's Among Us. Do you think it shares common faults with what critics and audiences have disliked from a DC film? No. And this, there's this narrative going around by all these people who have not seen the movie. I, there is nothing about this movie, and this is neither a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying there's nothing about this movie at all that feels like it's trying to be a DC movie. Like, not in the least. As somebody who's seen the film three times, there is nothing, good or bad, that makes it feel like it's at all trying to be a DC movie. Like, in the least. Um, the one thing that I will say that it shares maybe a fault of, of some DCU movies, but it's also a, fa- a common fault of Marvel movies, is sometimes it's a questionable character. Like, I loved Wonder Woman. I love the first Wonder Woman. The, their villain in it, the Ares thing, that was a lame thing. But the rest of the movie was great. I'll say that's kind of similar to what's going on in Eternals for me, but uh, no, I I don't feel like there's any similarity there at all. I mean, other people who watch it, it's all subjective experience. Maybe once you see it, maybe you will feel that, but I've seen the film three times and I've never once uh, felt that way, like in the least. Anyway, all right, next up. Man, I love the username, by the way, Burt Macklin, FBI. All right, Tachi Victor writes, 
Hey, John, I really got to thank you for introducing me to what we do in the shadows. I love that show. I love the show so much, and I hope it gets renewed. I believe I heard it already has been renewed. It has been renewed for the next season. I'm pretty positive I heard that. Anyway, uh, also, what did you think of the finale? Uh, my favorite episode of the season might be the Wellness Center. The Wellness Center one was great. I have still not seen the finale because Anne's been away. What We Do in the Shadows is one of the TV shows. There's not a lot of TV shows that Anne and I watch together. Uh, we, we watch uh, Foundation together. We watch uh, What We Do in the Shadows together. And there's one other. What's the other one we're watching together right now? I can't remember off the top, but there's three. There's three shows we watch together right now, and I cannot watch them without her being in here. I definitely couldn't watch the finale for What We Do in the Shadows until she gets back, so I cannot wait to watch it, though. And I did love that Wellness Center episode. Okay, next up. Norwegian writes, Had a productive Halloween weekend, went to a local horror movie festival, and I saw 11 movies, including Last Night in Soho, The Deep House. Oh, my God, I want to see The Deep House so badly. We talked about the trailer for it, one of the coolest concepts for a horror movie. For those of you who missed us talking about it, the idea is, like, off in the deep woods, this couple go, like, uh, diving in, in these lakes, and they stumble across a full house at the bottom of a lake like way underwater, a fully preserved house under the water at the bottom of the lake, and it's haunted. Craziest concept for horror movie. I cannot wait to see that. Anyway, Antlers, which I'm very excited to see. The Sadness Had a Blast. That sounds like a good Halloween weekend, Norwegian. I'm glad you had that experience, dude, and I'm very jealous you had a chance to see The Deep House. Anyway, BK Dan writes, John, my belief about the theory given by the lawyer shouldn't be submitted by the lawyer. Uh, the investigation team may consider it some form of obstruction. No, that's not how the law works, BK. Um, the accusations and theories should only come from investigators. That's their job. Okay, so obviously what BK is referring to here is on the John Campus show earlier today, we were talking about the shooting accident on the set of Rust when the cinematographer tragically lost her life. And the lawyers for the armorer on set of Rust, the person responsible for handling the guns, uh, the armorer's lawyer mentioned in an interview on the Today Show that they have a theory that somebody purposefully slipped a live round of ammunition in with the blanks to purposefully try to sabotage the set of the movie. Now, they didn't offer any evidence for that. They were just saying that's one of our, one of the things we consider a possibility. That a lawyer... Uh, whose job it is to present alternate possibilities. That's their job. Uh, and a lawyer expressing an opinion about a possibility is not obstruction of justice. Now, if, if I mean, something that could maybe, I'm, I'm going to make up a, a fake theoretical situation here. Um, something that maybe could fall under the, the category of obstruction is if a sensitive piece of information that was that was like ordered sealed information was supposed to be remain classified and not known and the lawyer was made aware of it blah lawyer going out and then making that public information that might be be, be able to be considered obstruction of justice but a lawyer expressing a theory is no different than you and me at home getting on twitter and saying I think it was this person's fault. Well, you're allowed to express an opinion. Like That's not obstruction of justice. So no, it is the lawyer's job to cast doubt on, cast any kind of doubt on 
the responsibility or guilt of their own client. And by the way, I in no way, shape or form think the armorer may or may not be guilty of anything at all. Like we don't know the facts. So I'm not saying that at all, but that's the lawyer's job is to present alternate possibilities, um, all that kind of stuff. So no, none of what the lawyer just did was either unethical or illegal and certainly not obstruction. So there's just that. All right, thanks a lot for that, BK. Next up, Marcus writes, While I believe that Spider-Man is staying in the MCU, I also think it's possible that he, quote-unquote, leaves. Is it possible that Spider-Man doesn't physically leave the MCU, but could Sony's universe be like the new Netflix? Same universe, but not acknowledged by the MCU films? No. I, I, I don't think that's where they're going with this. I don't think that serves Sony. I don't think that serves Marvel at all. I don't think that's to either of their benefit. So I really don't think... I mean, listen, Marcus... I'm not telling you I know factually that's not the case. It's that, that could be possible. But you're asking me if I think that's what they're doing. I, I don't see anything there for that. So no, I don't think that's what they're doing. I still think, while I believe that Spider-Man is going to go back over to Sony, I think they're going to leave the door open that once in a while he can pop his head up in um, in the MCU. But even when he does that, Sony's going to have absolute veto power over anything he does in the MCU. So it'll be interesting to see how this all actually transpires. We'll find out soon. No Way Home is coming out soon, and then we'll finally be able to know. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Do you think that if audiences hate Eternals, that Marvel will alter Phase 4 and beyond to make them not as important? No. Uh, do you Or do you think they will just keep things the same and hope that audiences can accept the Eternals in future films as time go on? Well, first of all, that's a huge assumption you're asking. If audiences hate Eternals, that's a huge jump. We don't know how the audience is going to respond to it. And I've said that from the first day I've seen the movie. I have no idea. So they may love it. They may be okay with it. They might They might hate it, maybe. So that's a huge, huge, huge thing to assume. But okay, let's play the game. Let's assume for a second that the audiences hate this movie. Kevin Feige loves the movie, and that's all that matters to Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige did not get to being where he is because he lets fans tell him what to do. Kevin Feige has gotten to where he is because he follows his own gut. He follows his gut and the counsel of a trusted set of generals that he surrounds himself with, a small circle of trusted generals that he surrounds himself with, and filmmakers he believes in. Kevin Feige loves Eternals. I'll tell you right now, it doesn't matter what you think of it or what I think of it. Kevin Feige loves that movie. He loves what it represents, and he's going to move forward with his plans. And so far, he's twenty three for t- he's twenty three and two. His win per- his winning record is twenty three and two, so nobody can tell him he's wrong, right? So no, if audiences love it, it's not going to change Kevin Feige's course. If audiences are indifferent to um, Eternals, it is not going to make Kevin Feige change his course. If audiences hate Eternals, it is not going to make Kevin Feige change his course. Kevin Feige is not what the old regime at DC used to be, which was totally reactionary. They're not like that anymore. DC is, has made improvements in that. They're not like that anymore. But, you know, a number of years ago, that was one of the biggest problems with DC. They became, inst- they were total reactionists. Oh no, this one test thing did this. Oh no, change everything that we're doing. Ah! Kevin Feige's not like that. Kevin Feige's not like, like that. Like Yoda says, my own counsel will I keep. <laughs> uh, and that's, that was a terrible Yoda, by the way, that I just did. But 
the only thing that matters is Kevin Feige likes this movie. He loves this movie. And Derek, he's going to keep on with this plan. And if it does hit a road bump, like, oh, audiences didn't like this one that we did, that's fine. We're 23 and 3. They'll they'll probably like the next one we do. We're going to stick, stick the course. They're not reactionists. They have a plan. He's going to stick to his plan. All right, next up. And that's the difference between him and losers. Um, and that's often the it, both in sports and in life and in business and in the movies. The difference between the winners and the losers are often the ones who stick to their plan and know how to make adjustments to their courses without making being total knee-jerk reactionists. Kevin Feige's got a plan. He knows his plan's good. He knows he's good at what he does. He's going to trust his plan. They're going to move forward. All right. Darth uh, Carlitos writes, Dune is highly inspired by Arabs slash North African history and culture, etc. I found it a bit of a slap in the face that they cast Javier Bardem as Stigler. Um, Javier Bardem is from Spain, colonizer, who hasn't got the best history with the area. Thoughts. Great actor, though. I'm going to be honest with you, Darth Corlitos. I think that's a really bad way of looking with things. What did Javier Bardem do? And if you want to judge somebody not on themselves and the the nature of their character and their actions, and you want to start passing judgments on them because of what what their great-great-great-grandfather may have done, I think that's a slippery, dangerous, terrible slope. I think that is a terrible slope. Actors are people who pretend to be things that they are not. Now, if you want to go out and find an alien from a desert planet to play Stigler, great. Otherwise, he's a Earth human man, and I don't think you should say he's inappropriate because he doesn't come from the right bloodline. I, I, No, I can't get on board with you with that, man. And if you want to consider... Javier Bardem's very existence, a slap in the face. I, I, I don't know, man. You live your life your way. I'll live my life my way. But I cannot agree with you on that, brother. I cannot agree with you on that. All right. Next up. Uh, John Chung writes, hey, John, can we say No Way Home is kind of like live action into the Spider-Verse? Well, no, we haven't seen the movie. We have no idea what it's like. Um, No Way Home succeeded in bringing villains and inanimate objects to the MCU, whereas Into the Spider-Verse failed to do it. What? Both for selfish personal reasons as well, bring on the filthy. You, wait, what? What what did Into the Spider-Verse fail to do? You cannot fail at something that you were never trying to do in the first place. You cannot fail at something that you were never, ever trying to do in the first place. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was never trying to bring things into the MCU. You can't say, well, you know, John, uh, just so you know, just so you know, John, uh, yesterday, uh, little Bobby, uh, 13-year-old Bobby at at his school, he won the science fair at his school and you failed to do that yesterday. How come little Bobby succeeded at winning the science fair and you failed to win the science fair? Because I, I, I was never in the fucking science fair. <laughs> I, don't, I don't go to little Bobby's school. 
I, I was never trying to win the science fair. But John, nonetheless, you failed to win the science fair when little 13-year-old Bobby did explain that. I, 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 what, what are we talking about? No Way Home succeeded in bringing villains into a match to the MCU, whereas Into the Spider-Verse failed to do it. I have no idea what you're talking about, brother. I mean, I might be misunderstanding you here, John. I might be misunderstanding you here, but I don't know what you're saying when you say... No Way Home succeeded in bringing villains to the end objects of the MCU, whereas Into the Spider-Verse failed to do it. What are we talking about? That's like saying, yeah, No Country for Old Men with the aforementioned Javier Bardem. No Country for Old Men, excellent, excellent movie. Yeah, it's a great movie and everything, but it failed to bring villains into the MCU. What? Anyway, so I, I'll just leave it that. Again, I'm, I'm probably misunderstanding what you're trying to say. I am So it's this is probably on me. This is probably on me. So we'll just leave it at that. Thanks for writing in, dude. All right, and our final question today, and this gets us all cut up on all the questions that had been sent up right, had, that had been sent into the show this morning, right up until when the show ended, comes to us from James Argenta, who writes, Disney Plus Day is next Friday. Do you have any predictions? Mine is we get Kenobi teaser or footage since we got a Boba Fett teaser on the first. Also, if there is a live stream event, will you watch along after the disappointment of DC Fandom 2? All right, so uh, two things. It's funny you ask that because me and Christian Harloff, we were, uh, me and Harloff were just on the phone yesterday. Yeah, he and I were just talking on the phone yesterday and we were talking about Disney Plus day coming up and what do we think is going to happen at it. And absolutely 100%. 100% I believe that we are going to see Obi-Wan footage or trailer at it. We may even see, uh, well, I'm, I don't want to, I'll, I'll keep that one in my pocket. But yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of stuff. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff from the upcoming MCU shows. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff from like Obi-Wan. I think we're going to see stuff. I mean, I think we're going to get a lot of stuff. And if, now I'm also... I'm not going to get too terribly excited because whereas this year, this year's fandom was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Last year's fandom was awesome. I mean, I really liked last year's fandom and then they dropped the ball this year. The Disney investor day live stream was awesome, but that doesn't automatically mean this Disney plus day is going to be awesome. But yes, to answer your question, I will be doing a live stream watch along with the Disney plus day presentation, just as I did for DC fandom. I'm going to do that for the Disney plus day thing as well. So hopefully it's better than DC fandom day two was. So that's, that's what I'll say on that. Anyway, thanks for sending that in James. And with that down guys, that'll do it for this installment of the companion videos guys thank you so much and again big thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions number one because you gave us great fun things to talk about but number two you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved with the john campus show thank you guys so very much for your support okay guys don't forget the john campus show returns tomorrow hope to see you guys then and don't forget if you want to right now send in comment or question to be on the show tomorrow you can start sending them in now you don't have to wait for the show to start again just go down to the description of this video click on the tip link or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash tv slash tip and thank you guys so much for all your support okay guys that'll do it for me for now my name's john campia and until next time my friends Bye-bye.